0: This morning uh, we are so so blessed in this church family um, to have so many gifted people communicators worship leaders picture drawers like Sam Arnold to do brilliant stuff with uh, media and video we just got so many gifted people I'm so grateful to be a part of a church family just like this and the the role I play is just one part of a huge role. And one of those very, very special gifted people is a friend of mine, uh, Mo Tizard. Mo and Bill have been part of our church now for about three years, I think three or four years. I love having them as part of our church family. Mo is a really gifted teacher. She's written lots of books and I think I've read probably most of them I love it when she comes and gives me, offers me one. Sorry, Mo, you don't have to offer everyone a free book, <laughs> but I'm grateful for the, the free books that she's given me because they've been an amazing blessing to me as she's unpacked the word of God to me. And during the summer, we've had the opportunity to hear different voices just speaking into us as we look at this, the scroll of 12, the Minor Prophets. So it's a joy to have Mo come and just share with us this morning. You'll know Mo, she's familiar with us, but she still needs a huge welcome. She's gonna unpack Habakkuk to us throughout the morning. So let's give her a huge welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Oh, there's a bright light somewhere. (laughs) Well, good morning. So nice to see you all. Habakkuk, that's who I've got to speak on. And it's an interesting character because Habakkuk is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible apart from in his book. We aren't given any information about the time he was alive, which town he lived in, or what occupation he had, or who his father was, or which tribe he was from. Whereas most people in the Bible are described as being the son of, or from the tribe of. You don't get that with Habakkuk. And it was important, because knowing where people came from, linked generations, it gave them identity and revealed their place in Israelite society. Poor old Habakkuk, don't know nothing about him apart from the fact he was called a prophet. although we do have a few clues because he wrote about the rise of power of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, depending on which version of the Bible you use, which shows us that he lived around the time of Jeremiah or Zephaniah. So we start with chapter one. And verse one says, This is the message which the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Now, some versions of the Bible say the burden which Habakkuk received. And when you sort of ferret around a bit, you find out that actually burden is the right word. It sounds heavy, doesn't it? it sounds heavy. Anyway, verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralysed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted." Habakkuk is living in a very bad time. Now, we've got some bad things going on in our country and in the world, but this sounds pretty awful. Habakkuk is absolutely grieved and alarmed at what's going on around him in the nation of Judah. They're supposed to be a God-fearing nation, and yet they're doing all this awful stuff. So he asked Yahweh, the Lord God, why doesn't you do something about it? Why don't you do something, God? Verse 5 tells us the Lord's reply look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe even if somebody told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel, violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. Ooh. Now, there were warnings In the written word of God and warnings that the gracious Lord had sent through his prophets, his spokesmen. God doesn't like to do or allow anything that is horrible. So he warns and he warns and he warns. 2 Chronicles 36 says, But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. Anyway, Habakkuk hears this and he's absolutely shocked at the Lord's choice of punishment for the people. He can't believe why the Lord would allow such a ruthless, brutal and unrighteous nation to execute judgment. The Babylonians in his eyes were a nation infinitely worse and far more unrighteous than the Israelites. So knowing God's character, Habakkuk asks another question. But you're pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And he goes on to ask if the nation of Judah are only fish to be caught and killed while the Babylonians celebrate and give credit to their gods for the catch. Oh, it is a burden, isn't it? It's heavy. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Having questioned Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, We go to chapter two to see what happens next. Habakkuk waits to see what the Lord will say to him. We don't know how long he waited. I wouldn't think it was long, because he was in a dialogue. Because we have chapter one and chapter two, but there's no chapters in Habakkuk's book, so one would flow into the other. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guidepost. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. A prophet, another word for a prophet, is seer. So he's gonna wait to see what the Lord will answer to his complaint. In a better translation, this answer, my complaint, it says, I will wait to see what I will, what I will answer when I am corrected. Because Habakkuk has asked his questions in all honesty, but from a man's perspective. He's aware that as a mere man, his understanding and logic doesn't measure up to the Almighty's. So he expects the Lord to correct his understanding of the situation. And it's so easy for mere man to just look at things and say, huh, call yourself God. Call yourself loving. He doesn't understand fully, so he asks the question. And it's never wrong to ask the Lord questions when you don't understand. The Lord isn't cross that Habakkuk has questioned him. He's quite happy to correct his way of thinking. And he does it not by defending his decision. Instead, he invites Habakkuk to write down what he will do after the time of judgment is complete. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner, or a herald, can carry the correct messages to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place, it will not be delayed. Now the Lord's answer needed to be written down so that it didn't get distorted and so that it wouldn't get lost. So that anyone could read about it or hear about it from a herald. Then the message could be passed on to those who couldn't read, so that everyone would know, so that everyone would have hope for the future. In this chapter, Yahweh, the Lord God explains that he knows how to deal with nations, like the Babylonians, They will have their comeuppance. They will experience the consequences of their sin. It's going to be a difficult time. But there will come an end. And those who are being used in the judgment will be judged themselves. But before he goes any further, and I love this, the fact that the Lord thinks of his people in this way. Before he goes any further, he has important things to say to those who have or want to remain faithful to him. He points out the difference in lifestyle between those who look to and rely on him and those who don't. Verse 4. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The first thing to notice is that living by faith is the opposite of being self-sufficient, trusting in self. It's the opposite of a crooked life without honesty and without integrity. It's the opposite of pride. These words, but the righteous shall live by faith, we can read it in other translations the just shall live by faith. Were written down by Habakkuk, but they were spoken by the Lord God Himself. His words, Habakkuk is just a the scribe. These words were preserved in the Old Testament scriptures so that they could be read by all. All those who came after. Habakkuk's original readers as well. They were read generation after generation, century after century, and we could even say millennia after millennia, couldn't we? Now when Jesus came and many believed in him, these words, the just shall live by faith, taken from Old Testament scriptures, They came alive in a new way, so much so that they were repeated three times in three different books of the New Testament. You don't always see them unless you're reading the King James Version or the New King James Version, but it says, (laughs) no, it doesn't say that. I think you've gone too far, ah, there we go. The just shall live by faith, Romans 1, 17. Galatians 3, 11 says, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. Three times in three different books, that word that the Lord spoke to Habakkuk all that time before, is reiterated. It's come alive. And I like what it says in the original languages of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says, but the just by faith shall live. The just by faith shall live. The word shall live mean to have a true life that's worthy of the name, active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. The Lord God through Habakkuk was saying that the just, the righteous person shall live in the sense of being taken from spiritual death to eternal life, but also shall live in the sense of living every day by faith. But maybe your question, who is the righteous? Who are the just? Am I righteous? I don't feel like I am. Can I live by faith? What does that mean? If you believe in God, if you've confessed your sins, believing that Jesus took the punishment for your sin personally, not just general, not just general believing, oh, yes, I believe Jesus died to take sins. No, personally, my sins. Then you have been given the gift of righteousness. It's an exchange. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a bit hard to get your head round, isn't it? But it's true. He gives us that gift of righteousness. Now a commentator I was reading said, Abraham, which is the next slide, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this commentator said, Abraham possessed righteousness in the same manner as a person would possess a sum of money that has been placed in his bank account by somebody else. Fancy that. Go into your bank account, going to your statement, or going on your phone, or whatever you do it, and finding all this money in there as a gift. Wow. For all those who believe in God, like Abraham, righteousness is credited to us. It's placed in our spiritual bank account. (laughs) By God, by Jesus. Wow. Because Jesus died and took my sin, I've got all this righteousness in my bank account, my spiritual bank account. This means we can approach our heavenly bank manager with our requests at any time, knowing we've got plenty of righteousness in our account. Now remember, Abraham messed up quite a few times in his life, but he didn't lose his reputation of righteousness. He is known in the, Old, in the New Testament, which is way after he died, that he had righteousness with God. He didn't lose his righteous status, and we don't lose our righteous status. If we mess up, we say sorry. We repent. We turn around. So now we know what righteousness is. What's faith? What is faith? Well, the word used in the New Testament for faith is pistis. And it means the conviction of the truth of anything, belief. Faith in the Lord God is the conviction that he exists. It's the conviction of his faithfulness. It's the conviction of his trustworthy character. If he says he's going to give you righteousness, he's going to give you righteousness. It's trustworthy. In some versions of the Bible, we sometimes find that the word faith has been translated as trust. That's because faith and trust are interchangeable. So let's replace the word faith with trust and see how it speaks to us. Matthew 17, 20. If you have trust as small as a mustard seed, you'll move mountains. By grace, you have been saved through trust. Taking the shield of trust, you ward off the enemy. Hebrews 6, 12, imitate those who through trust and patience inherit the promises. And Romans 4, 3 again, Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Our Lord is a faithful God, a trustworthy God. He cannot be unfaithful. It's not in his nature. It's not part of his character. Now our Bibles were translated from the New Testament Greek, but when, or Latin, I can't remember which one it was. But when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching correction and instruction in righteousness, he would have been talking about the Old Testament because that's all they had then. So when the original New Testament writers wrote the gospels and letters, they would have read and understood about faith only from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament word for faith is emunah. It means firmness, steadiness, steadfastness, faithfulness, fidelity, trust, faith, belief. And emunah is described like being an engagement ring isn't that lovely it's a sign and a promise of a commitment i will betroth you to me in faithfulness and that's the word imuna you shall know the lord hosea 2:20 the covenant that the lord god has made with us is also imuna It's a covenant of faithfulness made by our bridegroom when he betrothed himself to us. And When scholars first wanted to translate the scriptures into English, they needed to find a word that translated both pistis and imuna correctly and clearly. So they decided to use an old English word, an old English word that was spelled F-E-Y-T-H. They chose this word because faith, f e y t h, h, meant to fasten yourself to. Faith means to fasten yourself to. Isn't that a lovely thing? Now, when I first heard this, it brought to mind a picture of two climbers roped together, climbing a mountain. And the Lord going ahead, making footholds for us to place our feet in, chipping out places in the rocky surface of life, attaching the rings so that they could hold the rope. But then, just a week or so ago, Bill brought my attention to the Paralympic Triathlon competitors as they negotiated the final leg of the race that's the perfect illustration of the Lord with us he said and he's right they were running attached by a cord to their guide a perfect illustration of f-e-y-t-h faith he's the one who enables us to live by faith by being fastened to him our guide We do our part, we run the race, but he helps us negotiate the roots of everyday life, the bends, the turns, the uphill and the downhill. To live by faith, we need to be aware of his gentle, if sometimes insistent, tug on our heart or our conscience. He wants to encourage us in the right direction if we're about to veer off track. It's so important that we don't harden our hearts, that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We need that gentle touch, don't we? That gentle tug, no, this way, no, that way. To have faith is not to fasten ourselves to a promise. It's to fasten ourselves to the one who made the promise. It's to fasten ourselves to the one whose character can be relied on. Fasten ourselves to the truth of who God is. It's to fasten ourselves to the one who himself is faithful. Jacob, another patriarch, he also made many mistakes in his life. And when he was speaking to his son Joseph at the end of his life on his deathbed he didn't say how faithful he was to God, but he said to Joseph how God was faithful to him. Jacob knew that through covenant, his faithful God had fastened himself to him. Through all the ups and downs, he was still there. And when we believe in Jesus, when we accept him as our saviour, when we fasten ourselves to him in faith, we too enter into a covenant with the Lord God. And through covenant, our faithful God, the Lord of heaven and earth, has fastened himself to us. Now the rest of the chapter two contains woes. Slide? No, next. Shows us the woes. Woes. Woe to the greedy and covetous. Woe to the violent and those who commit murder. Woe to the drunkards and those who make others drunk to expose them to shame. Woe to the idolaters. These woes, these horrible you'll be sorries will come upon all. Whether they were those living in the land or those in Habakkuk's eyes, who were doing these things. The invading aggressors, those who turned their back on God and were just doing whatever they fancied in horrible ways. There was no difference in God's sight. Sin is sin. And right in the middle, though, of these four woes comes this first. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. After second woe before the third woe, we read this. And I don't know about you, but immediately into my mind comes school assembly. (laughs) And singing, God is working his purpose out. And at the end of each verse, we sang, for the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Oh, that's where it came from. <laughs> the word filled, I had to look at it because it's so intrigued me. The word filled can also be translated as satisfied or completed. And the word glory in this context means honour, dignity, dignity, and position, dignity of position, should I say. This declaration spoken in the future tense makes me think that when the earth and its inhabitants become fully aware of his honor and the dignity of his position, it will come to its completion. Now, then we get two more woes, and then the chapter finishes by declaring, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So we've gone through the questions and the answers. We've gone through the woes and the judgments. And then we get to chapter 3. And it says that this is a prayer sung by the prophet Habakkuk. Now this gave me another clue as to who Habakkuk is, because he gives instruction right at the end of chapter three that this is a sung prayer and it should be accompanied by stringed instruments. This makes me think like the scholars did that Habakkuk was probably a Levite serving in the temple as a prophet, a singer, and maybe even a musician too. Habakkuk's sung prayer begins with a wonderful declaration of the power and the awesomeness of the Lord. Verse 2 says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This reminder of what the Lord has done in the past for his people is the perfect platform for intercession Habakkuk knows they cannot avoid the consequences brought on by their own sin and that the Babylonians are on their way, but he also knows that the Lord God is a merciful God. So he asks with intercessory hope in wrath, remember mercy. And scripture shows us that this intercession, this petition for mercy didn't go unheard. The Lord saved many people from destruction during that time. They were taken into captivity, into exile, and their gifts and their skills were utilised. Daniel, for instance, was taken captive, and he, he became part of the structure of government. A godly man in the government of the Babylonians. Incredible. There were three other guys as well. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their biblical, God-given names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I always like to think of them like that. Because their names have the names of God in them. Mordecai taken captive. And he with his niece or cousin, I'm not sure which, Esther, were instrumental in saving the Jews across the empire when Haman plotted the annihilation of them. So that prayer for mercy was heard. But then in the New Testament, it was answered completely. Because when Jesus came to earth, He took the whole wrath of God upon himself. The whole wrath of God against sin. Not against people, but against sin. He took it upon himself. And in doing so, he released mercy to all mankind. It's up to us individually to receive that mercy, to accept that he took that wrath for our sin upon himself and gave us mercy and his righteousness. It's up to us. But he was part of the answer of Habakkuk's prayer. Well, in fact, he was the whole answer to Habakkuk's prayer, let's face it. In verse 3 to 15, Habakkuk remembers and reiterates the amazing things that God has done for his covenant people in days gone by. Just speaking about the mighty deeds that the Lord has performed brings Habakkuk to a state of awe and trembling. He's aware of the Lord's awesome power no longer working favorably for his people. All he can do is wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And while he's waiting for the judgment to come, he's determined that even though the fig tree has no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Gosh, all that stuff that's coming, and he's got a determined heart. And we all live with stuff, don't we? Personal, nationwide, and worldwide. Do we have that same heart? I'm going to still rejoice. Have we got our binoculars around the right way? Are we seeing the greatness of God? He's determined, Habakkuk's determined no matter what happens, no matter what the future brings, he will rejoice in the Lord. Because Habakkuk's faith went beyond circumstances. Remembering the Lord's faithfulness in the past gave him trust and hope to look to the Lord's faithfulness now and in the future. He finishes with "The Lord God is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He's sure that the sovereign Lord will make him rise above all that's coming, which reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 2.6, for he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Habakkuk's name means he who embraces or he who clings, which is very appropriate because he obviously fastened himself to the Lord God in faith. And the weight of the burden, the revelation, is balanced as he talks it out with the Lord. It's balanced by the prophetic revelation of who God is now and what he will do in the future. This book shows us to ask God questions. He'd rather us ask when we're confused than stew about things. He knows exactly what's going on in the inside of us anyway. But you know when you've got that stuff and it goes round and round in your mind, round and round in your mind, can't get rid of it. Well, my favorite saying is open your mouth and let it out. That's what we need to do. Open our mouths, talk to him, Ask him questions. And he doesn't mind honest questions. Sometimes it helps to go to someone we can trust and talk it over. In our, our life groups or with a leader or counsellors or those you know closely who you, you've got good relationship with. It helps to take it to the Lord. But the most important thing is don't moan to all and sundry. Anyone who will listen... It's so counterproductive. Sometimes we get answers, and sometimes we're given insight to a greater purpose. And sometimes, like Habakkuk, we will just have to wait and see what he will say to me. And we don't always get answers in words. I often get things in pictures, and I'm sure others do too. But when we have doubts, we need to remember there's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt that desires God's promise. Oh, it's not gonna do that for me, I can't, lie. Oh. Or we're saying, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm struggling, but you can help me get through this. Get me to that place. You see, doubt is the crucible in which faith is refined. We can sit in that hot place of doubt but we don't need to worry because he's going to refine it and refine it and refine it and then one day it will be completely done and the faith and the promise and the fulfilment will be there. If you're sitting in a fire of doubt make sure you're leaning into the Lord and not leaning away from him because he will refine that until it comes into pure faith. Trust requires unanswered questions. And trust is the same as faith. Don't let doubts turn us against God in his character or in his motives. Like Habakkuk, we need to remind ourselves of his power and his awesomeness, all that he's done in the past. In the midst of trouble, if we determine to trust him, have faith in him, he will strengthen us and lift us up. We need to fasten ourselves to the credibility of his faithfulness and his character. Then it will be easier to look down from our God-given place of being seated with him in heavenly places with a broader understanding and a better perspective. Knowing that our God, the Lord, Yahweh, will work all things together for good, even if we can't see how or when. And yesterday, as I was pondering on this, I was just overcome by the thought of God's little seam of gold running through this quite heavy book, Habakkuk. That little seam of gold where he thought about his righteous ones, those who want to follow him, those who love him, those who've worshipped him, those who stayed true to him despite all that was going on. And thought of us. He put in that, and the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And it was like, this is the backbone. This is the thing that's going to carry on. The Babylonian captivity was a season, a time. It was done, it was over. But the just shall live by faith. Carried on and on and on. And it will go on to eternity and we are privileged to be able to share in that in those words spoken by the Lord himself and we can fasten ourselves to him that's me done Handy.
0: Well, I think, well, I know that the Holy Spirit has been talking to us all throughout the morning about fixing our eyes on God, about adhering to him, about being connected to him, clinging on to him through, you know, through the words that were shared, through the songs and through what Mo has just been preaching and sharing with us in an amazing way. We're being challenged. Come on, look to me. And in a world where things are uncertain and unsteady. I just felt, as as I was just sitting there as Mo was sharing that the Holy Spirit just prodded me and said there are people in this room today that you've heard news this week that has really rocked you to the core. You know, it may be part of the world news that that's rocked you financially or the cost of living or maybe a health thing. I actually also felt that on the live stream today that someone here that you've, if, as you're watching the live stream, you've felt that you've had a couple of times over the last few weeks, and you've thought, my doubts are so strong, I'm gonna allow them to just let me drift away, instead of allowing those doubts to come and pull you back into God. So I wanna just say to you on the live stream today, this is, not to turn, this is not the time to turn away from God, it's the time to come and run to God. And for people in the room, if you've experienced that today, where something has just completely rocked you, you need to know that although the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, and the olive and the olive fails, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord God Almighty. He is my rock. He's the rock that's higher than I. He's the one that is the strong tower that I'm going to run into. He is my fortress. He is my stronghold. So there are some choices to make today, really important choices. I wonder whether we could all just stand to our feet. We are gonna sing a final song in a minute, but I just think there are some choices in your hearts. I know it's hot in here, and we've been together for some time this morning, but I don't want us to lose this moment, because there could be some line crossing that we need to do today to say, you know what, I'm gonna put my trust in the Lord God Almighty. I'm gonna put my dependence on Him. Even though things are shaky, I'm gonna trust in Him. And I'm gonna ask Mo just to pray for us. Will you do that? Yeah, okay. And just pray that the Holy Spirit will draw us into that security today, and not allow fear mm. and worry to pull us off the rock that's higher than us.
1: Mm. Lord, we just are small, weak, helpless beings, And you are so mighty, you're so great, you're so fantastic and wonderful. And Lord, the only way we're gonna survive this world is by being fastened to you. There's so much going on around us. We hear it daily by the news. We see it with our own eyes, but Lord, we're fastened to you anyway. And even if we make mistakes, Lord, you don't let us go. We're still fastened to you. You've made a covenant with us. And Lord, I want to pray for every one of us, and especially those who are struggling. Lord, remind us of how big you are, how great you are, how mighty you are. You commanded a whole nation, a big nation, to go here, there, and everywhere doing conquering. And you gave them the victories you've got things in your hand that none of us could even imagine. Lord, we pray that you will just enable us to feel you closer, draw us closer, let us say what we need to say to you. Lord, get those questions out, get those bits and bobs out that are worrying us, those big questions, those little questions. Lord, help us to, to talk to you about them to share them with you because you've got answers Lord yeah. you've got answers and it might not be imminent but they're coming Lord they're coming so I pray for all those who are sitting in a crucible of doubt right now yeah. be encouraged yeah. be encouraged it won't last forever you will come out into Amen. a bright faith a seam of gold The just shall live by faith. You'll make every part of that because your faith is F-E-Y-T-H. You're fastened to him and he is fastened to you.